So, we're doing a cold open. And I want to do a cold open for several reasons. Um, first of all, you guys have been on fire. Like, <laughs> it's like the minute I said I was taking a break. It's like you guys thought I was leaving again. I don't know what's going on, but the viewership is way up. Like, I think I went from, like, the normal for the Wednesday and Monday shows to, like, it's going up about 35%. So, you guys are sharing, liking. I appreciate that. So, I want to say this. I keep saying it's the last show of the new year. Blah, blah, blah. This is definitely the last show. So, I want to take this time to apologize to Chris because back in October, him and I were supposed to do an IG Live. Life got busy. We both completely just forgot about it. And then the wrapped part came out, as I will say in the show, and and it revealed to me the numbers that his show did, which were the most, it was the most popular show of the year, which surprised me. Uh, don't don't get me wrong, it was a great conversation. It just threw me off a little bit. But either way, <clears throat> I hit him up a, a couple weeks ago, and. Uh, a lot of things, I, I share with you guys what's been going on with me in my personal life, not everything, but enough of it, to where I hit him up to bring him on to do a show. And so, everything that happened in between that time, I completely forgot to, that this was me bringing him on to the show. Somehow I thought we were doing an IG Live, I'm preparing for that mentally all week, I, we get to recording, about to record... And it's confusion. He's like, we're doing an IG Live? That could be fun. But what are we doing? Wait, wait, wait. I was like, huh. What are we doing? <laughs> so either way, his time is just as important as my time. I don't want him to think that um, I was disrespecting him at all. But I did want to publicly apologize to him. Because you guys will hear, there's certain parts of this episode. As I was editing it, I realized like the first five to ten minutes... Um, I was off my game. And here's the thing. I usually mentally prepare. I know what I want to say and everything. The first 5, 10 minutes. We went about 50 minutes or so. Maybe 45, 50 minutes. First 5, 10 minutes. It's kind of like me rambling. And it was me being off my game. Either way, I wanted to apologize to him for it. Um, that's unprofessional. And we have him back on the show next year. I will definitely make sure I'm on my A game for sure. Also, another thing is. Chris is a very well-spoken person. And there's a part in, in the episode that I was thinking about editing out my part. I decided not to because it fits. If I edit out my part, then what he says makes no sense. <laughs> in many ways, it's like he, if it comes off like he's just rambling. When he was responding to something I said. So essentially what I say is, I feel like the smaller cons don't work for me anymore. Because I, I don't do a good job of explaining it, first of all. Um, essentially, what I was trying to say was, I realized when I did put myself out there to the bigger cons, that people that I saw at the smaller cons were like, damn, you're here, and they would bring more and more people to me, like more and more fans and whatever. And I had several people in my very last con that I went to, because I didn't go to any cons in 2023, uh, because I moved, because I started this, this new career. Um, and so, um... I didn't go to any cons, which is on purpose. And by the last time I went to a con, a major con was ECCC in Emerald City, Emerald City Comic Con in 2022. And I remember vividly, someone said to me, yo, you're big time now, bro. I remember seeing you. I didn't, I didn't remember them. But I remember them saying, you're big time now. He brought a bunch of people over. And, like, they cleaned out my table. I've only tabled three times at cons. But... They cleaned it out. I was like, oh, wow. And then I was like, yo, the smaller cons, I've done my time there. Like, I need to I need to use certain smaller cons to get me to that bigger con. Now, what Chris was saying was his experience with bigger cons was the opposite. But see, he started out different than me. I didn't start off at big cons. <laughs> I never tabled at a big con. I never got invited to a big con until 2018. And that was New York Comic Con. And I was actually invited there. You know, but I've always helped the smaller cons because I was too afraid. I'll be real. I was too afraid to be anyone who's been to a Comic-Con. Sometimes you walk around and you see that one person. Let's say if you're there for more than one day. And you walk around and you see that this one booth that no, it's clear no one's been to it the entire freaking 
two days. I was too scared my stuff would be like that. But the same way he felt like Chris, felt like he was investing, it's like, no, I need to build myself up some more. I I, I, I don't give myself enough, for as humble as he is, we're both humble guys, I, I, I sometimes forget that I've built myself up. I've built relationships with promoters and all these types of things. Do I explain this very well in the episode? Absolutely not. Um, Chris is a Chris. Just I wish we had video of this because as Chris is talking, he's blowing my mind with the way he's breaking things down. Just more of me not being on my game, which once again I apologize to Chris for. I still think this is a great conversation, similar to the Libsy conversation, where we get into the technical aspects of rapping and beat making and stuff. We really do get into technical aspects of our mindset of growing our brands and having merchandise and toys and blah, 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 blah. So anyways, I just wanted to apologize to him. I also explained that better, uh, where I was trying to say in the episode, because uh, we both have our perspectives, and like I forget that like he hasn't been on the scene as long as I've been on the scene, because I've been on the scene doing Comic-Con since 2015. You know, it's, I'm, it's going on nine years now, with a with a year break, I guess. So eight years. Well, it's I've, it's been close to nine years, and so um, sometimes I think when you're in the middle of the grind, and this is why I can appreciate the, the conversation and with Chris, when you're on the grind, a lot of times it's hard to see that perspective and be like and, and see a realistic perspective. Sometimes you're looking at your bottom line too much. And for me, I remember the times I've tabled, I was too busy looking at the bottom line to really experience everything. But the times I've, I've, I've tabled have been some of the most crucial times, like me seeing that kids enjoy my books. Um, my books aren't always PG, you know. I do have some curse words and some, not all of them, but some of them. And so it's one of those things where uh, it's one of those things where you have to look at the bigger picture sometimes. And it's funny, he would said some of the things he said because the last couple of weeks myself... I had been looking at those same things myself, and I was like, you know what? I need to hit at least two to three bigger cons. And this thing also, I don't need to go and table at all of them. I just need to make my presence felt at those cons. You know, because I remember one con in particular I went to. Uh, I don't remember the name of it. I, I, I can envision the building, but I don't remember the name of it. But I remember I went there as a panelist, and I was a part of a panel. I didn't know the other four people. I got invited because uh, it was an indie panel, and uh, someone recommended me. I don't remember the entire story. I remember I said, this is effing weird, probably not going to go to this, and then someone emailed me and said, hey, we, you didn't RSVP. I said, you sure you want me? And he sent me a cover of Late Justice. I said, yeah, you did this, right? I was like, yeah. He said, yeah, you were recommended, and these four people, uh, so I went to that con. I didn't table it all. I probably spent maybe, what, 600 bucks between airfare, uh, hotel, and rental car. Six, seven hundred bucks, something like that. And um, I sold, I mean, I, I have my backpack on me all the time because you always, you know, come prepared, keep your gear on you, right? And I sold everything that was in my backpack, so I ended up, like, not breaking even. I ended up getting more, you know? I think sometimes you look at the losses too much, but either way, it's a great conversation. I was glad he had. I was glad he came back on and dealt with my terrible interviewing. Uh, <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I've been off my game, and so I, and honestly, this will be definitely the last new episode of the year. I'm going to take the next three weeks, two to three weeks, and everything's already recorded. I keep so for those who are not understanding, I need to make this clear. December's episodes for Monday and Wednesday have already been recorded. December is more of a wrap-up year. The last two years we've done it. Last year was pretty successful with the numbers and everything and the engagement. This year is even more uh, successful with the engagement, especially with Spotify and adding the QA um, aspect to their, their platform. So essentially, yeah, Wednesday's show is recorded up until the beginning of February. Like, we have the Gen V rev uh, uh, review, we have the book, uh, we have the Power Force review. So, all these things are already done. I'm not disappearing. The shows are already recorded, uploaded. They're just waiting to be dispersed. That's why when you guys see the numbers, like, one person hit me up and said, Hey, dude, how do you go from 380 to 411? It's because those episodes are already out there and they're in 
it just won't be in order as you guys hear them because it's a Monday show, Wednesday show, whatever. So, yeah, you still hear my my uh, sexy voice. <laughs> um, it's just that the new new stuff will be at the beginning of the year. Um, but I do need to take. I, I I've been burying myself in work, and then after this experience with Chris, which I can't apologize and thank him enough for his for his professionalism. Um, I do need to take a two week little breather from recording new stuff and focus on just going into the next year. So that was a bit of a long of a cold open, but I wanted to explain because as I'm editing the show, I'm like, yo, this all does not sound very cohesive. Like the Lipsy stuff, actually, and just to give you some behind the scenes stuff before we go into the episode, me and Lipsy had planned to do a show on a Friday. Well, I didn't hear back from him. Which I was grateful for, because I was not in a place to do a show that day. I was super tired, exhausted. He hit me up the very next day and said, yo, I apologize, he has a new baby, whatever. And I was like, dude, it's all good. I was wiped out anyway. So it just worked out. So anyways, this is the show with Chris Saloff, his second show coming back here. Uh, We talk about crit, we talk about uh, aspects of mental health and when it comes to working and planning your year out we talk about so many different things it was supposed to go like 30 minutes we went like 45 50 minutes or whatever but i hope you guys enjoy i am the soul chemical this is i see things a little differently welcome to the show guys hey guys welcome to the show i see things a little differently and you, we all are familiar with the uh the wrapped w-r-a-p-p-e-d what spotify does when they give you your numbers for the for the year and say where you excelled at and stuff like that and so um for those of you cr- people who are not content creators, um, Spotify actually, and actually uh, Tidal, and Apple does too, um, they actually give you, when you're a content creator, they give you a monthly wrapped every month. So you tend to know where you stand. And so I saw my wrapped for Spotify this year. And I saw the numbers for this particular interview, and I was like, oh, wow, that's that's really impressive. I just, you know, I couldn't, I don't remember, I actually don't remember Everything we talked about, and I remember bringing this, this this guest on because I reviewed their comic, and I really liked the comic, and so you guys really loved this interview. So I wanted to bring him back on and see how his 2023 was as we're going into the new year and see what the plans for 2024 are. As If you guys heard my Libsy interview with his new album coming out, you guys know I love the technical side of things. So I want to bring my guest on now, the creator of Crit, Chris Saloff. How are you doing, man? doing great sir thanks for having me back oh no thanks for the numbers <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I, won't, I won't complain about that. that that was dude that's really awesome um what we had to say about that day <laughs> exactly so sometimes you just never know man and um and, and also a lot of times man but i'll be real with you chris like I, I do so many episodes a lot of times i forget the things i say so sometimes i have to go back and listen to what i said i'm like Man, I talk so much trash. I can't keep up with this. Um, <laughs> but it's good to know that people listen, listened. Because I know how I am. When I get comic creators uh, or, 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 or rappers on, I love the technical aspect of it because I know how my mind thinks. And because I don't actually hang out with creative people, I, I don't get a chance to really let that out so much. So it's, it's, it's a good thing. So first, I want to know, how was your 2023 did you reach all your goals, comic book wise or whatever, or or did you leave some things off so you can go to 2024? How, how was your year overall? Overall, read a new book this year, but I shipped a new book. I finished and shipped it. We spoke. I was telling you about how the last that issue the issue I was putting out. I did everything from you know the storyboarding to the lettering, so it was 100% me, Matt, and I put over 3,000 hours into that year, which is the lowest I've done in four years. You know, on the positive side, I did everything myself, and it was really cool to have a book shipped to me, printed, the beginning to the very end, and I can say that it's 100% me. So that was awesome. I uh, wish I had more time to, I wish I had another 3,000 hours to put another book out this year, but I didn't. Um, in March, I'll do my next Kickstarter. It's actually already in process, about a third of the way done right now, which is not, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I want to do two books next year. So myself, I'm doing two books so I can be held accountable. <laughs> okay, so how do you decide, example, I actually just this past week, November was a pretty rough month for me personally. So like I was like debating on a lot of things. And so finally I came to my decision of what is my 2024 going to look like? I just came to a decision like what 
what's going to be on the calendar for next year for me and everything, right? How do you determine what you're going to work on? Is it like what you're feeling? Is it what the fans are telling you to do? Is it what you just say, F it, I want to do? Like, what, what, how you put together your calendar every year? I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, I put out what I can put out doing this. I really pushed myself harder than I think I should have. It's like four books in one year once. Mm. And not on the comics, since working two full-time jobs. I have a daughter, I have a wife, you know, I have a life outside of comics. I said, I need to pull back. No one gives me a deadline. No one tells me what I have to do. But I know that I have 42 books I want to publish. I'm only on book seven or eight. I got a lot of work ahead of me, you know. <laughs> Um, is I have a, a board on my, my wall here in my office. My goal is two pages a week completed, um, eight books a year. I have a whole list of things that I want to do every year. That way I can look at that piece of paper and go, did I do that this week? And if I didn't, increase my production next week or I got I also have personal obligations as well. I don't work for Marvel or DC or any of those companies, so self or my backers on Kickstarter, because I wanted to, but because I got it to the printer two or three times, and then the printer got COVID, like two months behind schedule because of all that, said, all right, I'm changing my game next year. It's done by the time we go to Kickstarter. That way, I can already have the samples done, and all I have to do is print this many copies at the end of the Kickstarter. That's something I learned this year, and something I'm going to be implementing moving forward. Um, I'm going to cut down on the possibility of delay, and uh, so far, two pages a week, except for <laughs> this week and last week, where and um, human, right? Like, like sure. I think one thing we learned in 2020, and you and I may have discussed this last time, you know, your mental health is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just got to say, I can't get to that right now. And um, one thing a, a mentor of mine told me when I got into a new new role one once, spin my butt off every day, like like rise and shine. I, would, I woke up working, went to bed working. He said, Chris, no matter how hard you work today, the same amount of work is going to be there tomorrow. <laughs> so you got to figure so out what you can do today and mm. so sometimes i look at that that piece of paper on my wall and i say man i could have done more this week and other times i say you know what if i had tried it wouldn't have been my best that's another thing i do my all into it i'm not going to do it you know i'm not going to draw today if you're not going to get 100 percent of, of my best work no that makes 100 percent sense and like for me myself <clears throat> as i was putting together my year as you said just being realistic with everything that you want to do not just professionally but personally um i remember last time we were on we discussed your family and stuff and i'm single i don't have a family but there's still things that as i've gotten older i've had to like i uh i have a friend who just recently passed away and my, my last conversation with him he had made a comment to me of uh it's cool he said he said something to a lot so funny he brought up your mentor this is my, my friend said this comment to me or my and the very last thing he said to me was it's cool that you're working are you happy? And I was mm -hmm. like, damn, I'm, of course I'm miserable. No, I'm not happy. What, what the <laughs> fucking question is that, you know? And But it, it got me to really thinking about what I want my year to be next year and how I want to plan things out. And I had nothing on the board for next year except for my album. And even then, I was like, do I want to do a comic book this year, next year? Do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? And as you said, I don't want to do something that's not 100%, you know? And so... And if we're being real, our fan base, when you have, when you, especially when you start building a fan base, they know when they're getting crap from you. They just do, you know, because because they because they, they've been with you for a long time. So it's like they know. It's like, man, I don't know if this was, I don't know if he did his, his best on this. And I don't, I never want that to be a thing, not for me at least, you know. Um, so I I can relate to everything you said, one hundred percent. So with with us saying that. Do you have one thing in 20... Just one thing. Do you have one thing in 2023 that you put off because it just was... like I, I, I'm, I'm using an example. There was a comic book that I wanted to produce this year. I, I produced two. I wanted to produce a third one, but every time I put pen to paper, I really wasn't getting the story that I wanted. So I said, nah, I'm not, I'm not feeling this. I'm not going to force this. And I finally said, when it comes to me, it'll come to me, but it, has, it hasn't come to me yet. And so I just said... Up. When I, when it, whenever it comes to me, it comes to me. Have, have, you, have you had that moment this year at all? Yeah, I'm kind of in that mode right now, to be honest with you. I've been working on a page for a week. Pose and the the, the layout, it just wasn't. I, I had it all. It was all sketched, and the sketch was fine. I was trying to ink out this, this layer, 
it just wasn't hitting me. Just walked away from it. I said, you know what? When I feel like, you know, artistic seat, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you can look at it and you can see, and I just wasn't there. And actually this morning I, I sat down with my wife for the first time in two weeks. We turned the TV on in the middle of the day, you know, like every day for the past two weeks, it's just been go, go, go. So today everything was calm, turned on uh, what we do in the shadows. And if you haven't watched that, I love that show. Um, opened the tablet and I said, let me see if I can figure this out. In one line uh, that gave some depth to the this one piece of it. And I put that line in and everything fell into place. And I mm. said, I see it. I'm good. Finished it out. And I started another panel. And I was just like, you know what? Let me feel so good. I can go to bed today and feel like I accomplished something. That's cool. And it's funny how... It's just funny how that works sometimes. I I tell this I told the story before. I tell it again. Like I remember when COVID first hit. I was living in Colorado at the time. We shut down in Colorado March fourteenth. So I always wanted to do the the Messina comic I'm currently working on now. I could never get the right story. I mean I would write pages and pages and pages, panels, panels, whatever. Had nothing. It wasn't where I wanted to go. We cut. We shut down March fourteenth. I'll never forget it. March twentieth, twenty twenty. I woke up in the middle of the night. I was knocked out. So I was. Let me tell you. How, let me tell you how hard I was sleeping. I was. I was sleeping so hard I could hear myself freaking snoring. That's how hard I was sleeping. And I, and I just jumped up. I was like, oh! And I jumped up in the middle of the night. And I was so loud that my brother came running in. I was living, I lived with my brother at the time. He ran. And he said, "What's going on?" I said, "I don't know." And I was up for the. I was up for 24 hours straight. And that's why. And that's how I got the story I'm working on now. I got the first three issues from that. I don't know what, I, I, I don't remember if I was dreaming or not, but I remember just being up for the next 24 hours, writing pretty much nonstop, and I had my first f- three to four issues already written out and everything. And it's just funny how you said that. All right, I feel accomplished now I can do this. And I think because that story had been, it had been on my heart for like a year, and I just wasn't getting it. I just wasn't getting anything. And sometimes I think we can, we can put, like, well, I think of, like, the reason why I love indie, talking to indie creators, like someone like Robert Kirkman, right, who's very successful now, right? When I listen, when I read his comics or when I used to read his comics, that guy, he has your mentality and so many other people's mentalities. He doesn't care what you think. He's going to do this, this, the comic his way. He ended the, walking, he ended the Walking Dead his way and people hated it. He ended Invincible his way and people hated it. He said, it's my story. This was the plan all along. And so I think that's where I think that's why I had that that train of thought because I was trying to think it's about because when you go and you've been to cons before, dude. When you go to these cons, you meet these fans. Sometimes people just get in my head. I'll speak for myself only. Where it's like, hey, can you, what do you think about this character? And they said, let me tell you something. I, I remember I had one person ask me one time, why do you have so many women in your books? I was like, and I, I told him, I said, to be honest with you, most of my working life. I work with nothing but women. So like I, I see these situations and like I just I feel like I can write about them from that perspective because I mean the last five years I worked in strip clubs to get myself through college. So literally seeing the most ridiculous things, I'm like, oh that would be cool if that was translated to page and panels. And so anyways, it's funny how you said that. You said you saw that one line. Like, it, I don't know what it was, though, Chris, but, like, I had that one moment where I was up, and now it's just, it's a journey I'm on right now. So it's funny you say that. I think sometimes you got to get out of your head and do what you – get away from it, do what you need to do, but also do what you want to do from, from your perspective. So, all right. So with that being said, I, I have had some fans call me out, and I have and I have not forgotten, but now I'm going to get back to it. Um I am going to actually review the next part of your book, the crit book that you sent me via, uh, I think it was email or it was, it was a PDF, right? Yeah, I believe so. So I have had some fans call me out about that, which I, which is, that's on me. Um, but I have a question. As we move into 2024, you say you're, you want to work on two books. When you're doing your books, do you mm-hmm. tend to go with, like, example, you, you say you're currently in production with one right now. I guess the best way I can ask it is, how do you know... How you know you're feeling one more? Do you do you ever feel one project more than the other? So that's or do you like have this thing where it's like no, I, I came up with this plan, I have to stick with this, or like is it what you're feeling in the moment? Does that make sense? What I'm saying? So with the the story I have, everything is pre-written because it is a, a Dungeons and Dragons campaign, right? Put on the paper. I would say 
you read verbatim what happens in the game is me saying, well, this didn't make sense. Um, or if, and I think last time we spoke, you, you don't play Dungeons and Dragons. So that's correct. When you play D and D with a bunch of friends, uh, the, the person running the game, the dungeon master will come up with a blueprint of what's going to happen. So if you open this door, this person's here, he'll introduce or, or she will introduce new characters through, through the game session. The players interact with times those, you know, will bode well with the players and they'll carry them on and they'll have their own stories and they'll grow as individual characters. You'll introduce someone who they just ignore and it doesn't matter or they'll pay attention to for five minutes and then they'll never go back to them again. In game, that's funny. For the comic book, we decided that stuff like that, although D&D players will get it, non-D&D people may ask, well, what happened to that person? You know, right. why storyline that never got closed? I would definitely ask that. And these open storylines that we would never, ever close. And let's just say that, you know, because a lot of the characters that got just be real, I created them. And I, I was like, oh, man, I really like that guy. Oh, well, someone else that had that feeling of like, oh, I really like that character that was around for five panels. <laughs> but I really liked them. It came of them. I didn't want that to happen. Because think about it. Think about, like, I'll, I'll use, I use Boba Fett quite a bit when I talk about, like, obscure characters in the beginning of Star Wars. He had three, four lines. He was just this like random obscure character and then he dies in a Sarlacc pit. Imagine if the character had never gone in the Sarlacc pit, he was still alive. Everybody would be asking, what about Boba Fett? I mean, they still kind of do to a degree, mm. but he would be an open storyline that people are like, well, I want to know more about the character. Where'd right. he go? You know, like, did Darth Vader send him off on other missions? Things like that. In a comic, I just didn't want to have that open storyline. So um, we've closed some of those off. There was some situations where I wrote an entire game session that nothing came of it, didn't progress the story at all. We wound up like pretty much ignoring most of what happened. So again, instead of putting that in the book and creating an issue with readers, like where they get confused or like, what is this? We just omit those pieces. Uh, what is, you, you mentioned Kirkman. And if you look at uh, the, the cartoon for Invincible, it actually moves quite a bit faster than the books. Mm-hmm. A buddy of mine and I were actually talking the other day about how we both like appreciate the changes they've made to the, the cartoon because the book, in some areas, moved very slow. So I like the fact that from one medium to another, you get still a solid story just told in a different medium. So while Crit in the D&D world, like in our game, great story, we've enjoyed everything we've done, that does not translate over to comic books very well. We just have to admit it to enjoy those memories and we can talk about them and some of those like obscure things they show up in in the back of the book in the Sunday first corner where something stupid happens and I can put it into like four panels and tell the little piece most of it is him spray painting genitalia on people's cars but <laughs> 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 not gonna lie it happened quite often at the beginning of the story where one character just always carried a can of spray paint and if he wanted to cause problems he would spray paint and uh, that was that was actually a thing that happened in the game and when it came to the comic book, he was like, can we just omit that? Because the character is more than just the comedic relief. And so we, we agreed that in some of the books, you'll have like a, a thing called Calibur's Corner. It's like three or four panels, like Sunday comics, you know, like old Calvin and Hobbes. And I get my friends to draw these little short things that actually happened in the book, but I can't put them in the book. They just don't fit in the storyline. I think that's another aspect of the story that's really fun for us is being able to tell these random obscure things in comics, but in a different type of comic media. That's such a, <clears throat> that's such a good, great way of looking at it. And you know what's funny is I was watching an interview with Kirkman and the other creators of Invincible, and they said the reason why they started, it's funny you brought that up, they said the reason why they make the, 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 the comic book or the, the cartoon move a bit faster is because they're trying to make sure that the the, uh, the cartoon stays true to the comic because I guess they just sold the rights or they're gonna or they're gonna give the rights to whoever to make a live action and I believe the people who have the live action rights don't want to do anything with the comic they want to change the entire comic book up so they say, hey, do it the way you want to cartoon wise and then work with us to change things up with the comic book, with the live action. And have you read all of Invincible before the comic? I have read majority of it. I think I fell off in the last little bit and I've been meaning to get back to it. OK, so uh, I don't want to say anything to spoil anything for you then. 
Um, oh, you, you can. I know the story. Okay. I, haven't, I haven't physically read the book. Spoilers. Uh, a buddy of mine told me pretty much the entire premise at one point. I didn't tell him I hadn't read it, and at the end he was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I don't care about spoilers. Either. If, I'm, if I'm into something, I'll still do it. So, yeah, so essentially what the people who have the rights, I wish I would remember the name, but essentially the live-action version, they want more Omni-Man. Because if you remember in the comic books, once Omni-Man leaves, at that point he's on the run from the Viltrumites. So, and so... Essentially, they want um, they want Omni Man's fate to be different, and so that's why. And you know, and look here, when you look at Omni Man, it's easy to say, "Oh, he's an evil Superman." That's 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 the best way to describe him to someone who doesn't know comic books right very well. But mm-hmm. if you actually look at his story, it's a lot deeper than just he's the evil Superman. Air quotes. I'm doing air quotes. You can't see me doing air quotes. But it, I I do appreciate that they're trying to keep something because I'm not one of those people. Let me be, make this clear. I am 100% not one of those people that looks at a comic book movie and says, well, that's not comic book accurate. Because if we're being real, not everything in comic books needs to be translated. I mean, at one point in time, there was some real, uh, let's just say, the concerning stuff in these comic books. So <laughs> which they should not be translated to, to, uh, to, 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 to pixels, you know. But at the end of the day, I, could, I, I can see where they would want to change some things. Because even when I watch The Boys... When I watch the boys, they've done a wonderful job of because a lot. Let me tell you something. I don't care. What, no, everyone has this love affair with the boys now because the show's a mega hit. I read all of the boys. I have all of the boys comics when for when they first came out and everything. It got to a point with the boys where it was just overkill. The end was like, holy crap! Thank God this is over. You yeah, know. Well, the creator like hated superheroes. He does. Garth Ennis. Superheroes, so it was made to like just bash superheroes in general, right? And so it got to the point where I want to say, I even though I was still into it, I want to say once they hit maybe three or four issues after Hero Gasm hit, where they just kept finding ridiculous ways to bash thing, uh, bash comic book heroes and stuff. I said, okay, I, I get it, we need to move on. To me, having the medium of TV now. And whoever's filtering it through Garth Ennis and everybody else, they, to, for me, they've done a great job of it. It's of, of, you know, making sure that it's just not about bashing superheroes. So I, I wonder who I, I I can't remember people's names, but I do believe they're gonna make a great live action version of Invincible. Speaking of that, do, have you ever thought about like your stuff being on uh, in in uh, cartoons or? merchandising or anything like that have you ever thought about expanding it okay i wanted to put all my energy into doing a cartoon i think cartoon is where i want to live you know you and you we talked a little bit earlier about some of the things that we think about like what where we want to be that kind of stuff and i had discussion with somebody one day and they said you know what's your uh mission statement and i never really thought about a mission statement for my title i thought on it really hard actually and while i love that demographic of people my age you know i'm, I'm 40 and i love that people in their 20s to read my story and enjoy it at my heart of hearts a young kid you know 10 12 years old picking up the old X-Men, Wildcats, you know, when Image had first come out. It's what got me into comic books. And a lot of the things I enjoy today are because I enjoy comic books as a kid. So I said, well, to be able to be accessible by the younger generation, you can have that feeling of, of watching it become more than it is, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if, let's just say we have a, a cartoon now, and you were, like, had the comic books, and you're watching it. You're like, oh, my God, it's so awesome seeing it, right? right. Like, I want, I want to have that effect my buddy was like well if we do live action it could be like this and like that and i said yeah and people like live action i think right now the industry the way it is i think cartoons might be a better option uh i look at you know i look at industry and i say well tv has little to zero uh animation on it my goal one day is to be able to pitch them in animation because they're not overloaded with all these different animated series like netflix um amazon or you know prime and so that was something i wanted to do I really want the comic to come first because while there's a lot of money in your series onto the TV and that stuff, I see a lot of creators now, um, you know, they get into comics so they can make a TV show. Because think about it, a comic book is nothing but a storyboard for a movie or a TV show. Sure. At the end of the day, it's a storyboard. And uh, I listened to a podcast recently with a bunch of uh, younger creators and newer creators, and the, the 
they said to the newer creators, well, what got you into comic books? And, and one of them directly said, I do comic books so I can eventually make a movie. And one of the older creators literally looked at him and said, so you have no passion. And he said, not really. You know, I'm not really into comic books, but mm. it translates very well into movies, so why not? I can get the audience and then turn them into this. The older creator looked at him and was, you know, he wasn't mad. He just said, you know, that's the comic book industry right now is no one's making comics just to make comics. Mm. And it made me think, too, because I got into making comics, you know, when I first put pen to paper for this book. It was to make a comic book. It had no other reason than to make a comic book, read their D&D campaign. That was it. Never wanted to be more. I never thought I'd have a table in front of me with T-shirts and action figures. Because I have action figures. We have pins. We have collector cards. I've got all the paraphernalia sitting on the table right in front of me right now. And that was never where I thought we would go. And I'm happy we're there. And I want to thrive in that environment sure. until it's the right time to make a move somewhere else. I want every reader to get my full energy in the book. That way, when we do go to you know a, a cartoon or a live action, if that's what's on the table at the time, and translate it, and it gets my full energy there as well. Um, that's one of the reasons I do love has done with Invincible. It's kind of like the blueprint, I believe. He finished the whole series, and he said, "Cool, I can translate that into this, and I can give people." a great story. I think if you go halfway into a story, like look at, uh, and I'm mouthing uh, Game of Thrones here, but we go into Game of Thrones, wasn't completed, the show finished before the book series, and now they're not going to line up properly. You get two different stories that don't align if we ever get the end of Game of Thrones, you know? Well, um, I've never seen a second of it, so I don't know, but go ahead. <laughs> I've seen up to a certain scene, and there's a scene in one of the seasons where this woman gives birth to like a black cloud of something. And I was watching and I said, you know what? I can't, I can't do this anymore. I love fantasy. Absolutely love fantasy. But I was like, nah, I'm done. I can't do it. And, the, uh, you know, there's, again, I love fantasy, but I also have my limitations on what I'll watch with sexual violence on the show. And that show just abused that. Uh, like, I would be watching and I'm like, all right, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. You know, like I'm not squeamish, but just, there's a line and uh, just couldn't do it. But I have friends that watched the entire series in that last season. They were just so let down. And I was like, well, it's really easy for a good director to translate a good story into a TV show because that's what they are trained to do. Something that's written and turn it into something good. If you have nothing that's written and you have no idea what where to go with a lot of these stories, because think about it, you know, Game of Thrones had so many different open-ended things going on they weren't closed these guys come in and try in a few months to write a story that makes sense and they failed you give someone crit and say hey yeah let's make a cartoon or a tv show and i'm not even done with the story and we get to a point and they're like well where do we go with this i'm like well, let me finish what i'm doing you know like let me like i don't know i don't i don't like that i like the idea of having everything finished and giving fans whether they're first-time fans or long-time fans i want them to get possible thing they can because let's, you know, let's look at this too. Time is money, all mm -hmm. right? And, and quantifying it in different ways, and you can call it money, you can call it whatever you want. We have very limited time in the world, and I don't want someone wasting their time on what I have to offer. That's actually really deep, and, and, I, and I've never thought of it that I, I've never thought of it that way, because as you said, when I first decided to make a comic book, I wanted to make a comic book. And the only reason I have a short film based off one of my comic books is strictly because there was an opportunity to film something and I had a team of people that said, Oh, and it's funny you say that. So listen to this. I came, I came up with this comic book called late justice, right? So essentially I just had an idea for late justice, just an idea. And I got some concept art done from an artist named Michael Reber. I believe his name is Michael Reber. And legitimately we had filmed the short film before the comic was ever done. And it was, I, didn't have any plans for any of it and i remember someone had asked me that question i said honestly it was just an opportunity i had some local actors that just wanted to do it and i said sure why not you know i don't have any ideas for it and actually doing it for me helped me come up with the comic and the direction i wanted to go but yeah i when i do comics it's because i want to do a comic book you know and as i go into 2024 I, um, the only reason I'm even expanding my comic book into the podcasting world is because there's a lot of people who I know now they don't necessarily read physical books. They more so go to the uh, Audible route, which is fine. 
Um, so I know people just have their phones on them. So I'm like, yo, I'm, I put it as a podcast. You can listen to it on Audible. You know, so that way you can still support the comic book. And that way you can actually still know what's going on. And um, and some people, I've had some people tell me they don't actually, they're not really visual people with comic books. I don't know what, how that makes sense. <laughs> but, they, <laughs> but they love when, like, there's certain people like Comic Story and on YouTube who do a good job of it, just breaking things down and becoming those characters. So now people have gotten into that form of it. So, no, I never thought of it that way. But I guess that is a really good way to look at it is, you have to have a passion. And you know what the funny thing is? And this leads to another conversation that I don't want to just go off on a tangent on. But I was talking to someone the other day. One of the most overused terms I feel in this world today is if you look at any video on YouTube, something's dying. The death of comic mm-hmm. books, the death of MC, everything's dying. But somehow billions of dollars are being made. If, these, if this is death, then you can give me that death right now. Because that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, I said this to someone the other day. I said, nothing's dying. People are doing... If you look at certain people, like, especially in the, in, in the indie field, I, I know a lot of indie artists that are doing numbers right now. They're making money. They don't work a regular job like me or whatever. But, like, they're doing it, but, like, you, you're just not paying attention to them because you're saying comic books are dying. But how are comic books dying? Is it because... Like, to me, example, Marvel and DC, not knocking them, Marvel and DC do so many reboots that a lot of times it's hard for the casuals to be involved. But, dude, you go and you go to these comic book shops, man. These comic book shops are still packed with people who have a passion for comic books, you know? I don't know too... I know way more Dunkin' Donuts that are closing down the comic book shops. So, I don't... Things aren't dying. It's just people aren't paying attention to the right things, in my opinion, um, I'll agree. And, um, go ahead. No, 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 no. I wasn't trying to interrupt. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, you're good. But no, I just, I guess for me, I just think the term "dying" is just overused, and I think we need to be careful about that because there's a lot of people doing great stuff, and you just have to be, you just have to me, you just have to have your ears open and and your eyes open as well, and you have to be willing to get out of your comfort zone or expand your comfort zone. Excuse me. Because, example, MCU. Do I think Phase 4 was the best quality that they've given us? No, I don't. It's, it's also the most content they've given us. So they they, they chose the, the evil of giving... It's just giving full-on content, and a lot of it wasn't good to some to some people, you know? I know a lot of people who were very happy with the content they have, they, they gave, you know? Um, I just feel like, for me... As you, when you say what you just said, is so powerful because as I'm looking at my 2024, um, for me, and this is my next question to you, like I, I talked to a few promoters and they were asking me, they were trying to book me for certain cons, and I said, okay, cool, and I realized in order to get to a broader audience for myself as well, I have to start hitting up more of the bigger cons as well as the smaller cons, you know, because. I don't know if you've had this experience yet, but I remember I went to Atlanta Comic Con. I got invited there. So I was there for two days. And then I was in New York Comic Con. And it was like, I've met a lot of the same people, right? But I feel like the 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 local cons, like the Atlanta Con or Indiana Con, a lot, you have a lot more local people there, less travelers. The bigger cons, you got so many travelers there. So it's a way of expanding your 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 uh your fan base and getting more people to tune into what you're doing what are your thoughts on that a lot i want to make sure i address your thoughts on what exactly like the, the con scene like when you go to your con, con how, do you, how do you determine sorry about that i was all over no, the place good. i apologize <laughs> um because some people can will really jump on me um your die hard con creators not your i think i fall into the other category let's be real if you're sitting at a table every weekend, you that's three to four days a week that you could be working on a book. Right. Um, most creators that, that do that, they're selling prints, they're they're subsidizing their book sales with uh, something catchy. You know, a buddy of mine has a uh, cover, it's an homage cover to, uh, it's like a bloody cover, I can't think of the artist that he, he homaged on that, but he, he has this one cover sells really well so he goes to a con he prints a lot of this cover it's uh tyler kirkman 
I was looking it up real quick. Parchment uh, has this uh, a, a distinct style that he uses. And so my buddy did one of those, and he prints like 30 or 40 of them, goes to a con, and no sellout. Right? And he makes his money back, and he has a good time, and he goes back, and he'll able, he's able to do his stuff. But he only does a couple cons a year. Mm-hmm. I have another friend who does con after con after con after con. I'm not going to talk about production levels, you know, because everyone has their own individual lot. Sure. But I, I know, for me, the cons that I've done, I've had some good outcomes. But I'm always going up against someone that has something flashy or catchy, or their character beating up Spider-Man, or their character fighting Superman, or maybe they just had a really cool drawing of Superman that they put on their table and they're promoting their, they're using that to draw attention to their book. Mm. Um, Puff Game I would rather promote in a comic book store than I would at a con, mm. if I'm being real. Mm. You and I both come from music industry, so I had, I think we discussed this last time I was signed. You know, by a subsidiary of Sony, and I had a manager, and we, the band, had a manager for a little while, and we were lucky. We we did sell out locally. We sold almost ven- every venue that we played out locally, and I'm not talking two to three hundred people. I'm talking seven to eight hundred people at a time. As a local band, we sold out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we played Warped Tour. We did these things, and we wanted to go real quick from where we were at to. You know, that's what everybody wants. Manager stepped in and he said, "Hey, you can't sell out in your hometown. You can't travel the country." He said, "These are your hometown people. These are your friends, your friends and family, your friends of friends. Like these things. Don't waste money ten hours away. Can't sell out ten minutes away." Mm. And it hit me really hard mm. this year when I was thinking about. I've seen all my friends doing cons and all these things. I did Baltimore Comic Con last year. It cost me almost $1,000 with travel and food and everything else that went into that table. And I was like, I dropped a grand and I maybe made about six, $700 back. Uh, you know, and I'm not upcharging. I don't, uh, if for me to make the money back, and a lot of these guys do, and I'm not knocking anybody that does. I saw people selling an 18 to 22 page book for $20 at a con. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, your story may be, might be great, but it's not worth a dollar a page to me, you know? Mm. I'm not knocking them. Right, right. I got, I got to stress that I'm not knocking anybody that does it. That's your thing, and that's great. For me personally, I don't want collectors. Collectors are great. If they want to collect something I have, awesome. Thank you very much. I appreciate the support of the book. But at the end of the day, if I don't have people reading the book, I'm not building the book. You know, I'm just selling a collector's cover and moving on. I want from cons what I will from local comic book stores or local art events and things like that. They want to start off small and then do a con. Some bigger indie guys that do cons and they have a waiting for them at the con. You know, when I was in Baltimore, there was a table and before they could even set up, they had people waiting for them there. They promoted that they were going to be there. I my state again until I can do that. They're wanted there. People are looking for them, hustling for someone to stop by their table so they can tell them a five second pitch on a book that that person probably doesn't care. You know, when we played Warp Tour, we had people in every state that showed up just to see them. And that was a great feeling. I start doing an actual con circuit where I go to bigger states again. I want to be able to know that there's going to be at least, you know, a few people that show up just to come by my table. I think that, you know, financially, it's a better option for me. It gives me the opportunity to grow a local fan base because those local fans can see me on a weekly basis, you know. They will literally promote to all their friends and family, like, hey, go check out this book. It's happened to me recently here. I have a con in my backyard. It's a sci-fi con, not even a comic con. Three times my table, every single time I've done it, it cost me 100 bucks. I have zero travel. I have zero expenses, and I'm home for dinner, <laughs> hmm. you know. I did a one-day con about an hour away from me one day. It was great. It seems like these little things and these local things, for me personally, just work so much better. It's so funny you say that because see that's and that was kind of I, that was I was long winded so my apologies and if, if anyone gets offended by what we're saying it, they they're just being sensitive and trying to pick a fight because there's nothing you said in what you said uh, that was knocking because it, everyone has their own thing but um, you worded that way better than I did so I'm glad you spoke so essentially that's what I was trying to say was for me I found that I was running into a lot of the same people. So I was like, you know what, for me personally, two or three times I got invited to bigger comic cons, I was actually making decent money, but I was also running into people I met smaller cons. So I was like, you know what, maybe I should start actually hitting the bigger cons because for me, I'm already meeting these people because I've I've been on a con circuit for, for so long now 
and I've only tabled three times. I don't where I'm different from other people is I hate tabling. I just hate it being stuck at. I, you said what you just said. You I wish you was been. I wish we would have had like a a camera so you could see my face. It was like exactly the things I was trying to say. You were the much better. I I just. I don't like the five-second pitch because you're right. No one does care. <laughs> you know, if, if people want to stop at your table, they're going to want to stop at your table no matter what. You, yep. know, you know what I'm saying? And so, no, you just worried it so much better. But anyways, I agree with everything you said there. And I, 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 got, I got to the point where when I tabled at Atlanta, when I tabled in Florida and those other places, like I had built up that enough of that to where I, I did have people start asking me, hey, man, are you going to be in San Diego or are you going to be here? And it's like, I'm like, okay, well, I need to not, not waste my money. Cause I had the opposite thing kind of where like I was breaking, I always broke even, you know? And I guess that's, and if you talk to a lot of con veterans, I'm doing air quotes again, they'll say that's the goal. That seems depressing to me personally, just to break even. But also at the same time, I found myself running into what you just said. And this is the part that blew my mind the most. I started running into more collectors than readers. And I have no problem autographing anything, but you know what actually hurt my soul one time? I had these action figures made up of Messina, and um, this one kid bought a figure, loved the figure, opened it in front of me. I was so happy. They came back the next day. They taped the box up to get an autograph because they thought it was going to be worth some money someday. I was like, that's so flattering, but I'm so disappointed (laughs) because... I'm a huge action figure collector, right? And I open my figures all the time. Now, some are autographed, and that's cool, right? But, like, I'm still a fan of this already. So, like, I never wanted to be a full-blown collector. So when you said that, that hit me so hard because, like, that's kind of where I found myself. But the peop- but then, oh, man, I, I'll, I'll go on forever. I will shut up. But you just, you, you blew my mind there, man. Anyway, so... Let's let's get to the, wrap this up because you just man you you spoke some Jesus into me right there. Um, where you got lined up for twenty twenty four? I know I'm going to do Heroes Con in, in North Carolina, and okay. I'm going to do um, uh, Congregate in Winston Salem, North Carolina. Those are two things I'm definitely doing. The uh, some other like I said, local Wilkesboro, North Carolina has a small one day that I want to do again this year. We had a really good time there last year, con wise. Quarter one of twenty twenty four myself and a few other creators that we published together uh, under the Savage Sandbox title. We are launching in Barnes & Noble. That's the goal. So we have almost everything set for that. We just got to really time to, to submit everything and get it printed and shipped to stores. Um, so I w- my, once we get into Barnes & Noble, being able to do some in-store signings there because from, and I have to talk to the local store here, but from what I read, once you have your, your book on their site, you can set up a, a table and do like a day signing in your local store. Nice. My focus right now is local. I want to focus local. I want to, I want to think small. I, I, I want to build that local fan base to where she goes to school with my comics all the time and her friends love it. it something really cool that last week, uh, one of her, one of her friends in chorus was like, I got to dad, your dad, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> and that was cool. That that's that's the kind of stuff I want. I want those kids that come and read the book. There's some art uh, art walks in town that I'm going to sign up for once the opening comes up. What's so, the art? What's the art walk? Uh, it's different types of art. Just uh, like they shut down the road here, uh, well, a big stretch of the downtown area, and every six to eight feet they have a table set up for for an artist comics. Uh, I think I'm like one of like maybe two or three guys that set up with comic books in the area. But you get a lot of, you have photographers, you have, like my wife did it, she was a photographer at one, and next to her was a guy doing paintings, seen pottery there, I've seen different types of clothing, it's all different types of art. So it's a very diverse type of crowd, it's about four hours of time, and it's all local people, and uh, I did one uh, about a month ago, and one of the coolest feeling, uh, coolest experience I had, there was a few young kids hang on the table and they like some of the stuff and I hand them a couple posters and I said hey take this and they were just floored one of the kids came over he's like I really want to buy your book I just don't have any money I looked at him and I said hey take this and I gave him one of the books and his eyes just lit up you know and he said thanks so much and he came back 15 minutes later he read the whole thing and he's like I love it I love this character and he went on to this whole spiel and that's what I want to see 
that's where I want 2024 to be is more of that positive energy, uh, focusing local. I want to launch two books next year and do my Barnes and Noble stuff. And, uh, that's my goal. All right. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Look here, dude. You, uh, I can I can consider myself a pretty decent talker. I know we spoke before about your past, where you had to be a you had to talk do a lot of public speaking. But mm-hmm. I think in the two or three conversations we've had two on air, obviously, and some, some little conversations off air. But in the conversations I've had with you, I don't see a reason why you can't do what you want to do with that perspective because it's just it's a humbling perspective. It's a hungry perspective, and not many people have it. And um, and I do understand, like, I think this, because I know it's a lot of times you, because you interact with way more artists and creators than I do. You, you it, 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 That's just a fact. Like, I, I, I have, I don't know how to describe it, but, like, the, I work with people, but I haven't really befriended many people. Like, we work together just fine. Everything works out well. We go our own ways, it's all good, but I, I could tell you interacted with a lot of the community more so than I have. Um, but I feel I feel like from the, the, the parts of the community that I have interacted with, you are probably the most positive person with the uh, with the with the most uh, humbling way of coming at things. So I don't see why you won't get everything you want and more. So um, I will get to my Wednesday show is pretty packed until february but i definitely finished reading I, i've already read the book all all over it's just i think it was like 100 200 pages you sent me about 200 pages yeah, yeah it was <laughs> something that's that's why i keep telling people you have to understand the first time i i did the uh, the, the review i only reviewed like 30 pages of it i was like then i just got i was at work because i was at at the time i was i was uh, I work in the entertainment industry, but at the time I wasn't doing, I'll just say, I wasn't doing a damn thing at work. <laughs> so, so it was easy because I was working overnights. And so when you're doing production stuff overnight, like once the, once the production, once all the talent is gone, there's nothing to do. You're just sitting there till the next, the next shift comes on. Well, I switched my schedule to first shift. Now I actually have to work. So I was like, so now I've read the entire thing, but i was like, yo, I can't review. This, I can't. I'm not that good. I can't review the last 170 pages and and make it cohesive and make it and do it justice, you know. So I was like, I have to reread everything. And like, well, yeah, and but and so, I trust me, dude. People are getting on me about doing that that another review. So I have to make sure I on my on my next day off, I have to at least read the next 30 pages and then review that and then review that, review that. But I will get to it for sure. Uh, I thank you for coming on. Is there anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Just just keep up with my Instagram so you can uh, find out about the next you know crit launch. And I gotta say, the second time this week, I've been told that uh, the fan base and the support that I have is amazing, which really makes me feel. I had another guy that I spoke to on about a fifteen twenty minute short interview message me and, uh, a few days ago. Actually, he said, "You're welcome back anytime." He said, "I've done one hundred and eighty seven interviews in the past two years." And your video has the most actions, the most views, the most shares, everything. He interviewed some big, big people. And I was just like, really? You know, I just shared it to my story. I put it on the page. It's not like I had begged people to go, like, look at it. So it was really awesome to hear from a guy who's had some really big name creators, like comic creators on his page, that you, your fan base. So anyone that is listening that has, you know, checked out all my stuff or just comes by and likes the posts, whatever, like, thank you. That means a lot because it's coming back to me now. And I try to be as humble as possible. And that humbles me even more as like, wow, people really care enough to sit here and listen to me talk for an hour about comic books. <laughs> but it's not just that. I must say, it's, I'm, not, I'm not trying to gas you up either. It's just like I went through that whole diatribe, right, where I, where I thought I was making sense. Towards the end, I realized I wasn't making sense. And you were able to break it down the way I was feeling. And I don't even think you knew you, what you were doing. You were just talking about how you felt. But you didn't realize you were saying the words that I was trying to say. Um, <laughs> and just the way you come about it. Like, I've had a lot of people on, too. And um, and you know what's funny is, I remember when I seen that whole thing with my raps. I, I think there's always a reason for that. You know, like, yeah, you can share. And that's cool. But... Someone has to share that share. Someone has to. Someone has to, you know, uh, l- listen to him. Like, wow, this is a different perspective. And you just don't. Let me tell you something, bro. You just don't find 
many people that um, come at from that perspective. And like, like I've been told I don't talk about my stuff enough. And, I, and you know what? They're right. I don't. I don't know how. To, I'm just going to be real. Even though I'm a writer, I don't know how to come at it a lot of times without sounding too comic booky. Like I, I, as you said, you got into comic books as a kid. I got into comic books as a kid. I love the intricate details. If you sat here and told me about the lines and the panels, I would sit here, arms folded, listening all freaking day. But that's not what everybody will understand. So sometimes you, you, you break it down for dummies. And now, and obviously, <laughs> and obviously, no one. I'm not calling anyone a dummy, but you get, you get what I'm saying. You, you, you're able to break it down to where it's like it's digestible, and it's like okay. I get what he's saying. It makes sense. So on top of that, you are humble. So it's it's all good. So, anyways, man, I appreciate you coming on. I I, we, I said thirty minutes. It's been fifty. So I I apologize. Um, that is Chris Salaf, uh, representing Crit. I am the Soul Chemical. This is I see things a little differently, and we are out.